I have a nice little sutta that I thought I would read. From the Udana, these are inspired utterances of the Buddha. The language might sound a little bit formal. This chapter is about a monk whose name was Nagia. And it's a record of what took place two and a half millennia ago at the time when the Buddha was alive. Thus have I heard. At one time, the Blessed One was staying at Chalika on Chalika Hill. At that time, the Venerable Magia was the Blessed One's attendant. Then the Venerable Magia approached the Lord, prostrated, stood to one side and said, Blessed One, I wish to go into Jantu village for alms food. Do now, Magia, what you think it is time to do, was the reply. Then the Venerable Magia, having put on his robe and taken his bowl and outer cloak, entered Jantu village for alms food. Having walked in Jantu village for alms food, after the meal, on returning, he approached the bank of the river Kimikala. As he was walking and wandering up and down beside the river for exercise, he saw a pleasant and charming mango grove. On seeing it, he thought, this mango grove is very pleasant and charming. It is eminently suitable for the endeavor of a young man such as myself, of good family, who is intent on the endeavor. If the Blessed One were to give me permission, I would come and practice in this mango grove. Then the Venerable Magia approached the Blessed One, prostrated himself, sat down to one side and said, Venerable Lord, having put on my robe in the forenoon, approached the bank of the river, I saw a pleasant and charming mango grove. If the Lord were to give me permission, I would come and make effort in this mango grove. When this was said, the Blessed One replied to the Venerable Magia, As we are alone, wait a while until some other monk comes. A second time the Venerable Magia said to the Buddha, he was keen, Sir, the Lord has nothing further that should be done and nothing to add to what has been done. But for me, Venerable Sir, there is something further that should be done and something to add to what has been done. If the Lord would give me permission, I could go to that mango grove. A second time, the Blessed One replied to the Venerable Magia, As we are alone, Magia, wait a while until another monk comes. A third time, the Venerable Magia said to the Blessed One, O oh, Venerable Sir, the Lord has nothing further that should be done, but I would go to that mango grove. Then the Blessed One said to Magia, As you are talking of endeavoring, Magia, what can I say? Do now what you think it is time to do. So he released him. Then the Venerable Magia rose from his seat, prostrated himself 
before the Lord and keeping his right side towards him in the respectful manner, went to that mango grove. On entering that mango grove, he sat down at the foot of a certain tree for the rest period during the middle of the day. Now while the Venerable Magia was staying in that mango grove, there kept occurring to him three bad, unwholesome thoughts. Thoughts of desire, thoughts of ill will, and cruel thoughts. The Venerable Magia then reflected, it is strange, it is remarkable. Although I have gone forth out of faith from home to the homeless state, yet I am overwhelmed by these three bad, unwholesome kinds of thought. Thoughts of desire, and thoughts of ill will, and cruel thoughts. Then the Venerable Magia, on emerging from seclusion, in the late afternoon, approached the Blessed One, prostrated himself, sat down to one side and said, Venerable Lord, while I was staying in that mango grove, there kept occurring to me three bad, unwholesome things, thoughts of desire, of ill will, and cruel thoughts. And it occurred to me, how strange, I am overwhelmed by these three unwholesome states of mind. Magia, said the Blessed One, when the deliverance of the mind is yet immature, five things lead to its maturity. What are those five? Here in Magia, a bhikkhu has good friends, good associates, good companions. When the freedom of the mind is yet immature, this is the first thing that leads to its maturity. And then Magia, when a disciple is virtuous and lives restrained by the code of discipline, seeing danger in the smallest fault, he trains in the training rules that he has accepted. When the mind is yet immature, this is the second thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, Magia, a disciple, obtains at will, with no trouble or difficulty, talk that is effacing, that does away with the hindrances, that helps to open the mind and conduces to the complete turning away from worldly things that leads to dispassion to the mind stopping, settling, growing peaceful, direct knowledge, enlightenment, nirvana, right there and then. What kind of talk is that? Talk about having little, needing little, about being content, about living in seclusion. Talk about putting forth energy. Talk about virtues. Talk about concentration, about wisdom, about deliverance, about knowledge and vision of this deliverance. When the mind is not yet mature, Magia, this is the third thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, Magia, a disciple lives with energy for abandoning what is unwholesome and acquiring 
what helps the mind to be peaceful. That disciple is vigorous, energetic, and persevering with regard to those unwholesome states. When the mind is yet immature, Magia, this is the fourth thing that leads to its maturity. And furthermore, Magia, when a disciple is wise, endowed with the wisdom of penetrating understanding, able to realize the arising and disappearing of all states and conditions, not following or believing in any one of them, this will lead to the complete ending of suffering. When our deliverance of mind is yet not mature, Magia, this is the fifth condition that leads to maturity. It is to be expected of a disciple who has good friends, good companions, good associates, that he will live restrained by the restraint of his discipline, endowed with right conduct, seeing danger in the smallest fault, and obtain at will that talk which is conducive to wholesome states, and that that disciple will live and practice with energy and perseverance, not giving in to the weakness of the mind. Magia, one who is established in these five things, should also cultivate four additional things, contemplating foulness of the body, and to cultivate states of loving-kindness for oneself and for all beings, regardless of like or dislike to anyone. And then the Blessed One said, trivial thoughts, insignificant thoughts, when followed, distract the mind. Not understanding those thoughts, the mind roams back and forth cannot stay one-pointed. But by understanding those thoughts, ardent and mindful, restrained and awake, we can overcome them completely. That is what the Blessed One said. A1. Really, here we have been given conditions in which to practice. Whatever thoughts come into our mind about these conditions, more important than changing the condition, because no matter how much we rearrange, reorganize the menu, go to another location, go to a spa, could have a spa and get a massage at three o'clock. A four or five star hotel. Sitting in your own room, even, all alone with not having to listen to anyone breathe or not having to put up with the noise of the groups outside. Maybe you don't like the Dhamma talks. You don't like the room. You don't like the center. You don't like yourself. Whatever thoughts are coming into the mind, that's where the suffering is. It's not in the conditions 
themselves. If we see the limitations of these conditions and penetrate through, then we understand that those limitations are not the origin of our difficulty. That the difficulty is what? It is the mind itself is immature. The Venerable Magia had gone forth, left home, shaved his head and wore a robe, and was practicing as a disciple of one of the greatest teachers of all time. Found the perfect mango grove to go and sit and meditate. Ah, what happened? The mind led him astray. He couldn't settle. He was besieged by thoughts and could not overcome them. There with the most perfect conditions, if we do not understand how to penetrate through, if we cannot penetrate through thought, then we might as well pack up our cushions and go home because we haven't really given up the world. We've brought the whole world in here with us. That's quite natural because we're still cultivating. But we must be careful not to waste time thinking about how to improve, like go and find another cushion or a different chair. But because we are being faithful to thought and believing that thought is our guide, trusting our thoughts rather than recognizing that thought is a bondage, it's, we haven't stepped out of the world yet, then the mind cannot mature. We have to make a little bit of sacrifice. First we have to renounce thought. It's pleasant to think. It's pleasant to imagine sitting in a mango grove and even to desert the Buddha because the practice is so important. But when we are not mature, we must hold fast to the instructions and forego thinking, no matter how much it fascinates us. So whenever there's a pain, I know someone here, you've left your medication behind. This is important. Do retrieve the medication because this is a physiological need. It's not something you're dreaming up at the moment. But sometimes illness itself, we use it as an identity. And we believe that if only we weren't sick, that's the only obstacle. Therefore, we can't practice. Or because I work, I have all this work to do that I can't practice. Or I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too lazy, I'm too whatever. Just sit down and see, know the thoughts for what they are. Limitation. You think that I can't because of. Conditions limit us. But if we see that that limitation is just our perception, then that's a doorway into freeing the mind. We deliver ourselves. If we can recognize the limitation as just something, it's not real, we've constructed it. It started in here, like scaffolding. We keep building it higher and higher and higher. 
we think all I have to do is get rid of this one condition and everything will be alright well then we'll find another condition for the mind to identify as a problem to be our obstacle so this is really the arising of the five hindrances the wanting mind we want pleasure and we don't want pain wanting things to be perfect is pulling towards us what we like what's comforting, what's pleasurable and pushing away what we don't like right there you have greed, desire and aversion constantly dragging us around restlessness and worry sleepiness and overexcitement or fear dullness or boredom doubt and confusion these are different variations on the same theme if only I could have the perfect conditions this is the ego speaking just see through that know it as a thought don't listen to the story and commit to being in the presence drop into the presence beyond those thoughts behind them there is a stillness which is not tainted by ego and then whatever is inconvenient well ultimately it cannot stop us from realizing what is real as long as we know where to look and how to identify what the obstacle really is what is the real root of our unhappiness it's not external to us no matter how loud how convincing it appears it's only our perception of it that's the problem so in this way we learn a tremendous teaching from Megia limitation these imperfect conditions can be the very doorway if we investigate why is my mind struggling what's the problem come back to the breath and dig a little deeper find the root and see the wanting the craving in the heart is wanting things to be different but we're here cultivating this way to know where to look for the root of our suffering and to use that suffering as a doorway to the place of freedom from all problems, from all trouble if we are dedicating our practice to truth then we have to be vigilant not to give in to the habitual mind the conditioned mind which is ignorant we have to be vigilant and know those conditioned states of mind we cannot trust them but the awareness that observes and sees not from the place of self self-cherishing self-obsession then we can see and immediately all the difficulty all the striving, the struggling it just falls away it really can release us right there then we have a gift to offer if we accept these conditions as a blessing isn't it wonderful that I'm not getting what I want 
It's a blessing. What? It's no problem. It's just an attitude. We have to surrender. With any condition, surrender can happen. We only have to say, okay, I surrender. Surrender to those conditions and enjoy the freedom of that. But the ego will not let us surrender. Wherever there's resistance, there's an opportunity to free your heart, to surrender. And then there might be a revolution. It's very important, again, to remember to surrender. Actually, the heart yearns to give up in the good way to what will free us, not to what will keep us small, contracted, blind, ignorant, miserable. Then the gifts of that freedom we can offer and dedicate to those we love. We can communicate that silently in our hearts, Trust your intuitive understanding, which arises in the moment as long as we open and let go. When we're in a a surrendered state, not grasping, not thinking, not wanting, but just being present, then the heart opens. That we can trust. Stay tuned. But stay tuned to your own. Your your own heart will tell you what's true. You'll know. You you won't know from your mind, from the the conditioned mind. You'll know from the vast open space, which will make you feel like there's nowhere to go. There's nothing that needs to be changed. Everything is perfect exactly as it is, even though the egoic mind will say, I hate this. And we watch it. We, we can watch it struggling. And we can disown it because that's not who we are. Magia made the mistake that many of us make thinking that, of course, not only that he was looking for the perfect place to go and practice in, in nature, which is, we're doing that too, actually. We're looking for a hermitage in the country for our spiritual health. So he had the right idea. But what he missed was that in serving his teacher, if he had not cherished his own idea of what was right concerning his practice, but in realizing that service is a great practice and a great surrender. If he had learned that in serving his teacher and surrendering to the Buddha, letting go his own agenda, he could have cultivated, perhaps with more energy and more joy, than going anywhere. Right there and then, he had a great opportunity, which he didn't understand. And many of us do that. We think that if we have to work, 
if we come to a retreat and we have to do some chores or if we go to a monastery and we're asked to help out get that over with so that we can sit and meditate in in a shrine or a temple where no one will disturb us but by serving others who are doing good or by helping with a pure heart and in the right way then the mind can open powerfully and we can grow and expand those qualities of the heart that dismantle the egoic structure it really troubled me that he would leave the Buddha alone and he was told very plainly no it's wait stubborn and willful I know what I need to surrender to one's teacher to trust the elders rather than trusting our mind we're still growing up and we're still realizing how right our parents were even though they're gone in so many ways so never be convinced that your circumstances in life are what are preventing you from practicing not just conditions here but many people say I have no time to practice first of all we're believing that there is such a thing as time and that it is real and solid and that it has any power to keep us away from the truth from knowing the truth of what we are question that is it true if you're in a situation in your family life or your work or your retirement or your unemployment lack of work can't find work I have no time to meditate I'm looking for a job this is serious it's true but the way in which we live the choices the way we make choices all of it if it's informed by a mind that is open awake aware coming from truth not from delusion then we can live very differently we can find peace in the most difficult conditions 